So we're in the presidential suite of the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Tampa. Yeah. Next door to us, there is a government official talking to the governor's office about which bills to veto and which to engage with. We're here at NASCA, the summit of chief administrative officers of the 50 states, essentially the COOs of the states. And I just, you know, to recognize the the seriousness with which we operate. Mm. Do you remember last week we were with um, our friends at NASA? Yeah. Yeah. San yeah. Antonio. Yeah. Uh, you were really into it, weren't you? It was like nerd fest. It was, it was, it was scientists and technology. And, and also remember the Alamo. Remember they, um, they talked about their favorite things and their favorite animals as part of that warm up. <laughs> yeah. It took a turn. Yeah. Do you, um, do you remember what their favorite animal was? What the most popular animal was? The animal that came up often was a penguin. Okay. Well, look, as a sign of your affection for last week and how much fun you had, I brought you an outfit for this week's recorded radio. No. <laughs> You're a penguin this week, mate. I'm Scott Wayne. And I'm Ace Colwood. And he's off to change. So you really bought me a penguin I suit. I bought you a penguin suit. To be clear, I asked Vera to buy you a penguin suit. Vera, is this payback did for I, last wait, week's did episode? I, did I notice it has a little tail on the back? Did I see that as you came in? <laughs> oh, this might be... This might be my I don't know you favorite well, day ever. You've just facilitated a session about cybersecurity and AI and... The tech guy, Ace the tech guy, was eaten alive by James and Jamie on that session. I enjoyed every minute of it. And yep. now you're dressed as a penguin. My life doesn't get better than this. My career is devolving <clears throat> rapidly. Hey, we're in a hotel. I yeah. want to talk about tipping again. Your uh, favorite subject. Yeah. Tip maids. We need to tip maids. And we need to tip. Nobody tips maids. It's that invisible. So Anymore. I really want, I want to talk about invisibility. Yeah. And that we're like, we, what, what's, what's the guideline sort of integrity or character is what you do when nobody's watching? Yeah. Well, I feel that applies. So we've talked about the pressure in coffee shops and things to, to tip and the whole mechanisms of it. And then the, it's absent in hotels. But most hotel maids are women. Most are non-English speakers, at least in their first language. Yep. And we know it's minimum wage work. So tip, just leave, and leave $5, not $1. And here's the last thought. If the maids are in the corridor, actually say thank you and give them the tip. There you go. There's my look. I'm a, I'm a immoral on most things. I'm gonna push that morality. Just for, there's, there's Scott's morality yeah. rearing its ugly head. Yeah. Um, bank, banking crisis. First Republic Bank. We we plowed. Wait, wait, wait. Like, let's yeah. let's. Oh, we're not, uh, no, we're not no, going no, from maids to banking crisis because, because you. I mean, this is this is real. Um, so I I'm notorious for not checking out of hotels. You just don't check out. Yeah. And and for what it's worth, my my orientation to that has has been, and it has changed recently, courtesy of you and V and a couple others on the team. Um, it's a uh, well, the hotel knows what I paid for. They know what day I'm leaving. Why would I check out? They know I'm not there. And uh, what was reflected back at me, and I had to sit with and internalize and then change my behavior. So I I just came up to this suite from checking out was. If I give them a heads up, I've checked out, then it is good for the maids who can get into the cleaning queue faster from my room. 
and it's good for yep. the hotel that can turn that room. And the next guest who inevitably comes in, if they get in early and has to wait, they now have a room that's ready. And so it was uh, it, it was just a good flag from the team. So I think that was done well. But the the reasoning is make the people who do the work, the cleaning crew, the service folks' lives easier by just giving them a heads up that you're out, which is usually oh, early it. for yeah, us. Yeah. So, so, so I appreciate it. So it's not like help out Marriott Corporation. It's it's help out no, the, the people it's who help out the folks shifts. who are slammed yeah. because everybody's room turns at so 12 or 11. Yeah. I have just thought of a good gag, though, which... I'm going to say it instead of doing it is if we just sent you a bill, like work out where you stayed three years ago mm -hmm. and send you a bill for 900 nights at that hotel because you hadn't oh, checked. That's funny. Yeah. Somebody <clears throat> email that to hey, Ace. You were talking about AI this morning. We talked about <laughs> AI last week, so I don't want to talk too much about it, but I want to go back to this. Um, you and James today threw up images that were completely generated from AI, sort of pictures of human beings that looked insanely realistic as realistic as anything absolutely that's on the web yeah. that are just they're not people they're not human beings um to and and you were all talking through you jamie and james were talking through ai we don't believe is sentient at this point it is a very complex mathematical formula mm -hmm. that we're still understanding but its ability to create reality i'm going to post to the newsletter uh, a link or some photographs of historical figures taking selfies Oh, I've seen that. So, it's so this cool. it is incredible. Uh, Martin Luther King yep. um, and civil rights activists taking a selfie. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin taking yeah. a selfie on the moon. The we, Buzz Aldrin ones real uh, cool. Jesus and his twelve apostles. Of course, Jesus is white. I, can we just do some like <laughs> come on AI? Uh, Albert Einstein, Genghis Khan, Charlie yeah. Chaplin. Just incredible. So um, cool. So Elvis. we'll put those on. Yeah. But like, if if you're a leader in a space now really starting to think we've moved way beyond conspiracy theories mm -hmm. and we're into that space of people will be able to find evidence, quote, evidence uh, of what they believe and their argument that, that they're making. If we were worried in grad school about using Wikipedia as a, as a source reference, I mean, that game's just so beyond this in that what we're going to be able to generate as what looks like primary source, yeah. there's going to be this whole new industry hey, validation. We, uh, but, but to stay there, can we tell? Can we, well, I, I won't uh, incriminate the Oh, are you going to tell well, a conspiracy? But, but yeah, speaking of conspiracy theory, so we were talking to a friend of ours um, based at one of the NASA centers last week. There's, there's some residual from last week that we're still catching up on. Um, and she was talking about her mentoring in the community in which she lives. Uh, and she was talking to a group of the like middle schoolers that she works with and told them she was from NASA. And so they said, uh, you know, the, the moon landing wasn't real is what they, they told her. And she's like, no, it like absolutely was real. It was a thousand percent real. And they're like, nah, -uh. and so they ended up for, I think it was, uh, it was an anniversary of the moon landing. The kids all got invited to the NASA center and they get there and NASA had set up uh, a projection of the moon in a hangar oh, and, for the anniversary and of had made uh, <laughs> had replicated the moon landing and then out of a door in the side of the hangar this uh, astronaut full kit full gear comes out kind of bumbling along as if he's in low gravity and there's cameras set up and everything and so the kids looked at her and they're like you lied to us <laughs> <laughs> this is the photo set <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Oh. And so, look, some conspiracy. How many conspiracy theories are actually true, do you think? I was, I was once told by somebody who has more insight into government secrets than me. He said, look, Scott, you've got to remember, 
only one in 10 conspiracy theories are true. And I paused for a moment and went, if you think about it, that's that's quite a proportion. It's like, oh, that's, God, I'm not yeah. sure I want to know. All right. I, I'm go. not sure we've, we've fed sanity here. Uh, okay, I'm going to... Um, oh, American Airlines. I'm about to head to the airport. Yeah. Um, American Airlines has built its own hotel. Where? In uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm going to check that as I say that. DFW. So DFW okay. is a big hub for American Airlines, mm -hmm. and they've built its own hotel. You can't stay there. It's just for employees. Really? Uh, so like hub. this yeah. is a future of work thing yeah. I think's interesting um so essentially it's this enormous hotel every room is exactly the same mm -hmm. it, it, uh, we'll put some pictures on the on envoy notes but the the rooms look great yeah uh clean design and then they've got uh this self-service restaurant type place but what it, what they're saying is that it's actually having pilots and flight attendants and ground crew those who are staying overnight like really interact and connect mm. um, from different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's just interesting about what's different, of course, because when they're all your employees, everybody just gets the same room. But there's no special room for pilots or yeah. seniority of those oh, things that you cool. that you apply no with rank. Um, in, in and of course, really. just an insight into my character. I yeah. re I don't often fly American Airlines. I think that's. And there's more to do with this, what I feel is a snobbery of British Airways because I'm a peasant and they're connected BA. I, I, I'm not Berkshire Airways, as we call it. Berkshire's a posh county in England. Um, but, but because you can't go there, I now want to go there. So American Airlines, if you're listening, can we stay in your hotel, please? Um. Of course, that's what you want, Scott. Of course. This episode is brought to you by American Airlines, if we get to stay in the hotel and record a podcast from there. There we go. We want to talk about like hotels and that connectivity and, and how and where people choose to stay as there's a host of options that pop up. I, I feel like um, we were in uh, the... Where were we? Detroit Airport. And we stayed at the Westin. And the Westin had a dedicated security line back into the airport. And so there's the purely logistical lodging, which is you fly to a place, you have a meeting of people who logistically needed to converge, convene, and then depart. And so you have that as an option. Um, we're here at the Hyatt, it's close to the airport, so it feels almost, it's, it's a similar function. Um, often we stay... Um, in Citizen M's. And what we get out of that is standardization, comfort. I actually happen to really like them. Talk about involuntary sponsors. And then I come across teams who sometimes stay in Airbnbs or Saunders. And I find that we are shifting lodging and I'm less inclined to follow a specific place because of points, but more about the function that I need from it. So the brands of hotels that I don't like, yeah. And I'm not going to go with it. I'll, I'll use sort of brands from different groups sure. because it's it's not one, one hotel conglomeration versus another. So what is the equivalent of a Marriott or a Hilton mm -hmm. or maybe an Intercontinental if it was IHG? I dislike those hotel, uh, Hyatt um, because they're sort of the middle ground. They're not so basic that you say, hey, I'm going to go out into the neighborhood and and eat dinner like in my environment and often they're so big it's kind of a schlep to get out into a neighborhood because they're essentially a compound um on one so i don't love those look i'm happy to stay in a really premium resort and sometimes when we speak at conferences that happens and they're lovely but the citizen m thing 
um, all these new, and each of them have it. I think Hilton has one, and I'm sure uh, IHG and, and Marriott and will do the same. Where it's essentially a pod, yeah, and it's just clean, and you use it to sleep and shower, and then get out of there, and and you're out mixing. I do, I do think the time of those sort of what was premium and is standard is is waning. Airbnb though. I have a feeling Airbnb's model is going to be really chipped away at, and it's going to have to be a corporate. Who's going to chip away at it? The costs that are involved. I think it's another case of VC was so heavily invested in it Mm -hmm. that they could, the fees that they're charging now, the very fees that people dislike, equate to the subsidy that venture capital was giving it as it was grabbing market share. I feel Uber and Lyft are in the same. I mean, clearly Lyft is is struggling very hard. That it was cost effective and the drivers were well paid, but that was because it was significantly loss making as they did the land grab. And as economic, as the laws of economics start to kick in, they've had to cut back on what they pay drivers. They've had to increase fees mm-hmm. because that's the actual cost of doing it. So I, I expect, and I look, I think Airbnb is an interesting company and I think it's an interesting model, but I think it's what's happening now is this economic environment is actually forcing them to compete directly with hotels mm-hmm. and hotels will to some extent win and the role of points is great what people will do for points is oh practice. yeah no point points god the incentives as i've like climbed status on an airline it is increasingly hard i've still got points banked on other airlines and i won't use them I, like i won't go go grab those points to go over to my it's it's insane oh wait i've just thought allison taylor i don't think allison taylor has retired yet allison taylor is the chief customer officer at american airlines oh hi allison. she's a brilliant woman yeah uh she she sits on a board that we work with quite often of course chief customer officer yeah. uh no nonsense australian you don't pick a fight uh-huh. with, with australians like this yeah, allison if you have not retired yet <laughs> will you get as a room in the american <laughs> airlines hotel cedric might do it I, on the other hand yeah. if you have retired hope you're having a great time and we'll see you in australia soon there we go. I love it. Um, uh, my next one, uh, YouTube links on LinkedIn. What? YouTube links on LinkedIn. I, I see, I'm seeing increasingly, you know, we, we post video often. I'm not saying we do it right. I'm just saying maybe this is one of the hey, things I, that we maybe don't do wrong. Can I just remind you of something? Yeah. You're dressed as a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> You've forgotten, haven't you? <laughs> Okay, uh, let's disregard everything I say. You were getting all like, oh yeah, it's tech, man. I know this stuff. And you're all, you're all like, you've got that look like, what do you know, old man? And you have a beak. I want to, it's a beak out of my forehead right now. Yeah, it's a weird day in Tampa. Um, yeah, no, so I'm, I'm increasingly seeing more video put yeah. on, on LinkedIn. Pros and cons to that, particularly if you're scrolling at work, like, are you actually listening to a video? And we post video with some regularity. So it, it, hit or miss there. But what I find is that folks post a YouTube link. It pseudo embeds, so it will populate in the LinkedIn post. They'll post it, and I... I think we miss functionality or intentionality behind the function. Do I want people to watch this video or do I want them to know there's a video? Are actually two different things. Um, do I want them to see a visual of a video or do I want them to go engage with it? Because posting a YouTube link, I never click on. I have clicked on one link in this past year that took me from LinkedIn to YouTube. But I find that it's the default place that organizations host their content. Um, and, and equivalent, we use Vimeo, so it's, it's not any different, just a, a video hosting platform. But to post the link and send somebody to that site 
doesn't give full analytics. You don't actually get people engaging there. I'm not going to leave a comment there. So you want me to comment on LinkedIn, but you send me to another site, which requires me to go back into LinkedIn to engage with the content in a place that's meaningful for me because I'm engaging and for you because you're getting engagement. And so I, I always struggle with, I'd rather that content downloaded, posted directly to LinkedIn and allow me to engage there rather than getting sent elsewhere. I never come back to engage with the thing. And so it, it's less of a selfish personal preference I want to engage here. It's a, if we're really intentional about the content we're posting and what we want people to do with it, I would posit keeping it in LinkedIn is a better resolution here. You know what this has made me think of? Mm. I've always wanted to ask Julie, Jules, your partner, girlfriend. Oh, God. It's, I understand why she loves you. I mean, I love you. Thanks, hey, lots of people love People who know you love you, but I've always wanted to ask her to sort of, how did you get through the first date? <laughs> like, just... Perry, Perry stop right laughing. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Can you imagine? They're sat having a cup of coffee and he just goes off on. Anyway, let's talk about YouTube links on LinkedIn. And just like, she clearly saw that there was a soul in there that if she could just stay with it, just, just keep smiling, let you get it out of your system, then she'd find something to connect. I, I think it's amazing. Just great. It was a penguin tail that did it for her. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, while we're talking about YouTube and playing things, etiquette and grammar section. Yeah. Um, trains and planes and having your speaker up for watching videos and taking calls. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. There are so many opportunities to plug a thing into your device so I don't have to hear it. And the fact that we don't is either a function of uh, lack of situational and environmental awareness, or it's that you're intentionally just trying to piss people off. I, look, I distill that to a binary. There are probably other reasons, but Lord knows. Um, how do you feel about it? Well, I don't think I have to share how I feel because you put it, it so, here. So Vera has Vera has added to this note. She's got access to this shared note. And she's like, "Oh my God, please throw V in on this using voice te to text in public places on full volume." Um, so apparently, there's passionate views. But so I think our ask is, not least in the interest of confidentiality, um, maybe we don't play Zoom calls at full blast, and we don't play YouTube videos, and we don't do voice to text. Yeah. Just yes, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to jump to number two because I enjoy it. Uh, Americans, we should do American etiquette. Um, food buffets. The food doesn't run out. I'm just going to say that it is. You do not have to fight for it. You don't have to. You don't have to nudge people out of the way, and you don't have to sprint for the free food buffet. They have lots of it in very large refrigerators in the back. It is by far. Look, we talk about. We talk about crime in the United States. We talk about um, the preponderance of guns. We talk about some of the social divisions, but by far the most terrifying thing in America is Americans at a free food buffet. <laughs> I, it feels redundant to call it a free food buffet. I'm just, I'm gonna, it's just a buffet. It's, you don't even say it right. <laughs> You, you, you have no room to comment on Americans' buffets. I will defend that territory in the way that we defended the Alamo. I will. Well, uh, uh, yeah, let's just leave shit. that there. Um, while we're talking about uh, visual technology 
imagery yeah. videos. Um, Flickr. Flickr is back. Flickr's back. So we have set up a Flickr account. If people aren't aware, there's this amazing new technology called Flickr. It's a website and you upload photographs to it. Uh, it holds no capacity for you to comment or like, I'm not even sure you can share. Maybe you can share. It doesn't hold uh, video, just photographs. And we've set up a, I think it's portfolioflickr.com is our Flickr. Ch- Flickr. I wanted to call it a channel. It's not even a channel. Not, it's, just no, Flickr. it's just Flickr. It's 20 years old. Is it really? So Flickr's 20 years old. Wow. But it, remarkably, this should be in our reverse innovations. Oh, it would be. It would be. Oh, it should be. There I, we go. I, I just, let's go back. Topics. Reverse innovation session. If we had invented <laughs> Instagram first, if we'd had Instagram first, yeah. and we know all of the damage that the likes and the comments and Instagram's like, oh, now we delay the likes so you're not driven by this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And we had Facebook, and of course, it's the same company. It's all meta. But if we had that first, and then somebody launched Flickr, Everybody be like, oh, this is great. You pay $10 a month and nobody gets to judge you and you don't have any of those social dynamics. So maybe, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about my friend Brian, who is just bribing his daughters to stay off social media. Mm-hmm. Maybe instead of bribing my kids to stay off social media, I bribe them all to set up Flickr accounts. You have to actually go look at their link, scroll through. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually quite serious about this. So I, I, I interesting. I feel like what gets lost in like the Instagram verse, can we go back? Uh, we have an avid, <laughs> we have a buddy who is an avid Tumblr user. Do we? I met Scotty. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he, every time I talk about I miss Tumblr, he says, I'm still here. <laughs> Come in. The water's great. That's his response regularly. So shout out to Scotty for just being old curmudgeon and still on Tumblr. <laughs> uh, no, but I loved Tumblr. I, I loved it. It was just this is beautifully aesthetic. I'm looking at some of the pictures in the wall. Uh-huh. And, this, and they're just, they're pretty. Um, and Tumblr was that before Instagram was just feed. And now it's become this own beast. And it, it's more addictive and it sucks us in. And so like going back to, it's not analog, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the flickers or the tumblers of the, let's just enjoy the things that people share and repost and think are beautiful and they curate that in the way that they do i mean hell i'd rather be over on pinterest than instagram these days and so i think we're looking for something just a little slower to say this is who i am i want to share that with people rather than i need people to engage I, I, i'm playing with that but flickers back and i like it okay i want to jump to something slightly different um it was messaged to me yesterday we've got we've got um it's sort of like the what was it, what was the source called in the uh, in the Watergate crisis in the parking lot? Oh, deep, deep throat. throat. Yeah. So we've got like a deep throat of envoy recorded radio. Nothing could go wrong with us, Damon Kennedy, okay. um, who is is feeding me subjects that we should talk about. Mm. And one came in yesterday, and they just said, "Trigger warnings. What do we think of them? What do we think of them? Mm. Mm. What does the wise penguin?" Think of trigger. I could have done with a trigger warning before seeing you in that suit. Um, so I, I don't have the body of literature in front of me. I have kind of filtered through it a little bit. Uh, what they're, what psychologists at least are finding is that a trigger warning is intended to be a heads up against a potential thing that might. Uh, I think we use the word trigger poorly. Mm. Everything is a potential trigger, but in the body of literature, particularly around social work and therapy, a trigger is a, a thing that brings up past traumas yeah. or experiences. Yeah. Um, and what is a trauma or experience is also uh, 
defined. But it's how it's used today. So today it's a thing that might make me uncomfortable. And and so misused in trigger, but the idea of a trigger warning was to give somebody with deep-seated trauma or an experience that they've gone through a heads up that this thing may dredge up those emotions, visceral reactions, so on and so forth. Um, so well-intentioned to have a trigger warning to say, hey, if you've done X, you might not want to look at Y piece of content. Um Exposure therapy is a way of orienting to to uh, some some traumatic experiences, and basically, what happens is we expose people to the things that are traumatizing them in a way to reduce some of the. Uh, reaction to that trauma. And that feels, I mean, therapists and psychologists do this regularly with patients. And so there's this ongoing debate about whether a trigger warning is actually valuable if exposure to the thing in an environment that is safe is helpful in overcoming uh, their reaction to those those traumas or triggers. And so uh, putting trigger warnings so people can avoid all of the things that are uncomfortable for the benign side of that, and then putting trigger warnings so people can avoid the things that are deeply traumatic but would be helpful to be exposed yeah. to in a controlled environment, uh, just probably detrimental on both sides unless we grapple with that as a society and, like, I, I think come up with a better solution to it. So well-intentioned, missing the mark is what it seems like. So the expansive brief it's been used to close down yeah. freedom of speech, yep. hearing ideas that are controversial – with the disclaimer that we are both very, very far away from being psychologists, therapists, or psychiatrists, um, that it is interesting to me that cog cognitive behavioral therapy is about exposure to things to become acclimatized to it. Yeah. And I feel that like trigger warnings are used not to say, hey, you might be, we encourage you to be exposed to these things, but be aware that it's coming. Be aware that any moment a six foot three individual will show up in a penguin suit but you should experience that so you're not in future. This is a six-four penguin. <laughs> issues. Yeah. Then uh, what I am interested in, in, though, is the staying power that trigger warnings and cancel culture have had. So this all kicked off, what, five, six, seven years ago. The book, um, do you remember the, the Coddling of the American Mind, which was by two academics, which was pushing back yeah. against this? Uh, it's a professor from UVA and I think NYU. But that's pretty old now. And then just recently, but uh, but I am seeing this being rejected. The dean of the law school at Stanford, uh, there was a <clears throat> fairly controversial judge who'd made some uh, controversial rulings, was essentially protested out of Stanford, speaking at Stanford. She uh, uh, apologized to the judge while saying she disagreed with their opinions, but you, you know, yeah. university settings are a place for diverse ideas. And there was a, um, a resolution by the, st the Students' Assembly Students' Union at Cornell last month that proposed that all curriculum should have trigger warnings embedded in it. And the president, Martha Pollock, the president of Cornell, simply, I, I mean, effectively said, absolutely no way. Like, universities are for the opposite of this. Um, interesting, two women leaders, uh, fairly rare, that that height yeah. of, of academia for schools of that caliber, both of which saying, no, this is this is not the place for this. Uh, but but it's stuck around. And it is, so is it good or it's bad? I'm, I think I agree with you we'd probably disagree about the extent to which it's valuable so i think at its extremes we both agree 
it's useful and ridiculous. So useful for those who have been through trauma. Um, <clears throat> it is the equivalent to somebody who has experienced PTSD hearing fireworks on the 4th of July, right? That, that is the trigger. I think we'd both be in agreement that that deep psychological response, that deep emotional yeah. response is there. But that middle ground is a big expansive space. And I would argue <clears throat> for those people, well, put it this way, for those people who wouldn't qualify for therapeutic treatment to be using the phrase probably in my book would be like, you know what, you probably need to get in that room and take notes and listen to that idea, whatever it is. And yeah. So I'm there. I'm there. Um, great. Well, look, I know you've got to get to the airport. You've got a flight. Uh, I'm, I have to change out of a penguin suit <laughs> and then get to the airport for a flight. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm in a penguin suit. Um, Hey, I've got, I've got one thing to add though, to that trigger. Warning. Yeah. Um, liberal cities, liberal run cities. I want to park this for us to talk about next week, but okay. I think it's related. Um, one of the things I think many of us who travel are noticing is that cities that are particularly under democratic ad administrations, mayorships, San Francisco, Seattle, Los Angeles, um, those cities are increasingly becoming at least social no-go zones, if not criminal no-go zones. Um, I would argue because of the absence of um, support for things around homelessness and mental health. But I can't remember of a time that I've been on public transport in one of those cities over the past 12 months where people have not felt unsafe because of passengers using public infrastructure mm. as, as a place to go because there's nowhere else to go. I want yeah. to be very clear in my language. But let's talk in future weeks about what is that going to do for the tax unless we address this seriously. Yeah. Because this is being lip service, you know, it's like lip service to the sort of tweeterati mm. from the public statements, but not actually doing the fight. We're with a group of people who are executive branches of state governments this is more at a city level but not not doing battle with whatever is the city council or the legislature whoever is providing the budget to really invest in solutions to this yeah but what's going to happen to city infrastructure otherwise we're just going to end up with suburbs we're going to end up with more divided suburbs so i park that because at this rate if we keep trigger warnings around and we keep cities in the state that they are and we're worried about exposing, we're going to need a trigger warning on the Bay Bridge and a trigger warning on the Golden Gate Bridge as you head into San Francisco. And, yeah. like that. and, and like how, how do we live in these sort of digital and academic environments where we're, we're living in a, in a protective bubble? Again, that middle ground, um, while actually our life outside is uh, war in Europe, pandemics, acute homelessness, poverty, increasing wealth gap, all of those things when we've got to prepare people for that. So that, that's where I think it is. And unless you want to fight me now, let's fight in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll do it in a couple of weeks. And we're, um, last, yeah. last piece from me. All right. The good news for you. Do you know what lobsters and penguins have in common? No. I learned this last night. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Lo lobsters, and com uh, lobsters and penguins make out their whole lives. Like not just for breeding, they they mate for life. I they think that's what you mean. Well, mate, make out. <laughs> Those are different I was also things. told that lobsters hold claws. Do they really? So anyway, next week, lobster suit, fella. <laughs> it's a wing. <laughs> My name's Scott Wayne, and I'm the penguin. We'll be back next week, maybe. 